It's Friday, the 25th of January, 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin, and welcome to episode 24 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. I'd like to put a bit more detail into this disclaimer today, because obviously today, if you've read the title of the the podcast, we're going to be doing a, a deeper dive into a stock than what we normally would. So I'd just like to say that, remember that the information given is based around my opinions and on what I've read and learned about the company. It's therefore subjective and should be taken with a, a real grain of salt. I've done my best to keep everything as accurate as possible, but there's no doubt my bias has been put in there as well. And no doubt I've made a mistake somewhere along the line. So always remember to, to do your own research before making any decisions. But I hope you enjoy today's episode. Okay, so this week I'll be doing things a little bit different again on the podcast. This is because it's been another week where there's been little in the way of interesting news. All the electricity companies are reporting their monthly figures or end-of-year figures, which might be interesting for some people, but it's not something that I'm going to bang on about for a whole episode, as I do like my listeners. So what I thought about I would do this week is to go into detail about a particular company, perhaps a little bit more detail than what I'd normally go into. So I was racking my brains of of what company to profile and I actually settled on Moa Group Limited. I'll call them Moa from here on in the episode. So Moa trades on the NZX under the ticker code MOA, no surprises there. Um, They have been listed since the back end of 2012. In stock market terms, they are a small company with a market capitalization of just under 28 million. And many of you will be familiar with Moa, as, and you can find a lot about a lot about them by going to the website www.moabear.com. When you go to the website for the first time, you have to enter your age, and that is because Moa is an alcohol company. They brew craft beer and cider in the Melbourne region. I think it is a great company to talk about on the podcast because of what they do. They are a very easy company and to understand, and it's, it's not that hard to get your head around. And the reason for this is that most of us either drink beer or know someone that drinks beer. In fact, I'm doing fundamental research on Moa as we speak. If you couldn't make that out, that was the sound of a, a mower can opening. I, I opened a mower dry hot pilsner that I bought from the supermarket earlier. Now, I'm making the point of doing this and opening the can in front of you because I normally like to invest in companies where it is easy to do fundamental research, where it's easy to figure out what they do. In fact, when you can understand a company this simply, then most of the time you're halfway there. And there's plenty of companies out there that are not this easy to understand, but it's not the case with Mo, which is great. They're very easy to understand. <sighs> okay, so I normally start bottom up with companies. That is, I look at the company first and the research second. But I think for the sake of continuity, it is worth having a quick look at the industry now. So I'm going to start by firstly looking at the beer market in New Zealand. Total beer consumption by litres has decreased slowly but pretty consistently since the year 2002. It's not a significant change, but it is a, is a consistent trend. According to Statistics New Zealand, there was about 315 million litres of, of beer consumed in 2002. 299 million 
in 2010 and 289 million in 2017. I think that what have you, what you've seen is a, a change in the general societal attitude towards alcohol consumption, as well as more alcoholic options being made available to consumers. So an example of that is I know from when I first started drinking when I was younger, the only cider in the supermarket was scrumpy, for example, whereas now there's dozens of, of, of different ciders available and you know wines and other alcoholic drinks as well and anecdotally i I do agree that there's there's probably less beer being consumed now i mean i I definitely drink less now than when i was younger (laughs) and you might say that there's due to life cycle and and you might be right but i still drink a lot less and and many of my i guess friends and family are in the same boat but you can argue that either way so as a wider industry declining, it's not necessarily a, a bad reflection of my you know there's there's numerous examples of declining industries where where comp where the companies themselves have have prospered and and think cigarettes is an example it's been a declining industry for the last fifty years but the the, the companies haven't just prospered they've been some of the best performing in the stock market and Sometimes, as as I talked about last week, a declining industry is actually better than a a growth industry. Think the the automobile example I used from last week. I mean, anyway, two hundred eighty nine million liters. It's still a major industry, and and within the industry of this size, there's lots of different trends. So, craft beer, for example, in in two thousand sixteen, their their market increased by thirty five percent. Obviously, from a much smaller base, but there is significant growth in in the craft. In the craft sector, and and this is the area of the market where Moa is positioning itself. So Moa is operating within a segment of the market that is growing, and you know you you did hear last week when I did talk about the car industry that just because industry growth, it, it's not necessarily a good thing, and it, it often correlates to competition. And there's certainly co- competition in the craft beer industry, and not as well as a wider beer market. So it's estimated that there are over fifteen hundred unique craft beers in New Zealand and that, that's just in New Zealand imagine how many there are worldwide imagine how many there are in the United States for example and there are 168 craft breweries in New Zealand so certainly when I went to my local New World before to buy my six-pack I, I was paying attention to the to the competition um, and literally the whole side of the wall of the supermarket was dedicated to beer the whole side you know you were talking sort of like a 20 meter long maybe i'm exaggerating there a 20 meter long space on the wall that was just dedicated to beer it's probably the most significant wall space in the supermarket or shelf space in the supermarket and this is not unusual i went to a, a countdown on the weekend and we the, the beer chiller was massive and you know pack and save has a whole section for beer there's liquor stores stores with massive big beer sections so you know there's there's certainly a lot of competition there and I'd say there's probably more diversity of of product in the beer section of a supermarket than any other section of the supermarket. You know, you get, you get a lot of diversity in bread and everything like that, but that's usually by one or two companies. Whereas the the the, the beer section of the company, you certainly you, of the supermarket, you certainly have a lot of choice. And I, I didn't count, but there were probably over a hundred options just in the supermarket. So this reaffirmed that the data that there is significant competition in beer. It also got me thinking on the drive home, and I didn't open a, a can on the way home, by the way, that it was unusual beer buying experience for me. Unusual because I went to the supermarket knowing exactly what I was going to get. I knew I was going to be doing an episode about mower, so I went there with a specific aim of buying mower. Normally when I go 
to buy beer. I'm I'm just going to buy beer. I normally arm and ah for a bit before choosing what I want to buy. And there, there's certain things that I won't touch, but apart from that, I'm a pretty open book and I'll normally buy different beers each time depending on what sticks out or what the price might be, what's on special, whatever it is. And maybe it's the first thing I see, I don't know. So I know that this is my own experience and you may have a different one, but I believe at least a large percentage of the beer drinkers, and I, I don't know what percentage that is, are the same. The type of beer they buy is based off the price and what catches the eye on the day. Now, you know, obviously I knew some alcoholics when I was growing up in Dunedin that would only ever drink spates and, you know, you might have a preference for a certain type of beer, but a lot of it is, is made on the, made when you get there. I actually used to live with the former CEO of Carlsberg Beer and his family when I was living in the UK, and he, he said similar things to me about people's habits surrounding beer not ironically our, our conversations were about beer where you were normally over a Carlsberg but that's a different story so anyway my, my point being here is that there's so much competition in the beer space that it's difficult for companies to have a major individual branding and pricing power advantage and if you're unsure about this then compare it to the other the extreme example of coke when you want one, you head off to the supermarket to buy Coke, not to buy cola. You're there to buy Coke, if you if, if that's your reason for going to the supermarket. And I heard a saying about this once, and it goes along the lines of, when you're, at, when you're in a restaurant in a different part of the world, you buy the local beer, but you don't buy the local Coke. You buy the Coke. So how would, how would you summarize Moa's market position? I would say that overall they operate within a highly competitive but fast-growing subsector of a much larger but declining market. The competitive nature of the market means that it's important to differentiate yourself either through brand, price, quality, distribution or company structure. The, the company attempts to differentiate itself according to its website by being New Zealand owned and through the quality of its product. And I would say that my anecdotal experience would indicate that it is difficult to differentiate yourself in a sector through these ways and and the competitiveness of the industry means it will always be a, be a challenge. The can that I'm drinking now certainly does taste good but not by a margin that will make me buy it every time I head to the supermarket. Now, before you email me and say you always buy mower, no doubt there are people that always buy mower, but it, it certainly is a competitive space and not everyone's like that. So while we're here, what about the, the wider industry? So the beer market is dominated by what I'd call aggregators, and these are companies that have essentially realised that it is difficult to differentiate through individual brand quality and price, so they've instead opted for aggregation and attempted to benefit from the efficiencies that come with scale. In New Zealand, the most obvious example of this would be Lion, who owns brands such as Spates, Steinliger, Lion Red, Lion Brown, Waikato Draft, Max, Emerson's, Little Creatures and Crafty Beggars. I guess the key point here is that if you own that Lion owns brands that you would consider both mainstream brands like Spates and craft beers such as Crafty Beggars. So the advantages of, of size here allow the company to demand a premium retail space, drive efficiencies in cost and in distribution. The same is true overseas with companies such as Constellation Brands and Anheuser-Busch that own multiple brands with whose, whose basic business model is aggregation. So these companies are massive in size, in terms of size and resources, and I, I will do some direct comparisons later, but Anheuser-Busch has a market capitalization of 123 billion US dollars, so many, many multiples the size of the largest company in New Zealand, as an example. 
So just, in fact, probably almost larger than the whole market combined, although I'd need to do some figures on that. So to quickly summarize what you've probably already figured out, MOA operates in an extremely competitive environment. Now, I think what sums this up quite nicely is when you read an annual report as an aside in the US, it outlines the risk factors of a company. I think it's a regulatory quirk that you have to have the risk factors there. And I took some material from the risk factors listed in the Constellation Brands 2000 annual 18 annual report and because I think they rely to MOA quite relate to MOA quite well and I think it sums it up quite well and I think you can apply what Constellation Brands said to MOA and I'll, I'll read it to you. We are in a highly competitive industry and our sales could negatively be affected by numerous factors including our ability to maintain or increase prices, new entrants in our market or categories, the decision of wholesalers, retailers or consumers to purchase competitors' products instead of ours, or a general decline in, in beverage alcohol consumption due to consumer dietary preferences, changes in consumers substituting legalised marijuana or other similar products in lieu of beverage alcohol. Uh, I guess they didn't mention um, products that aren't legalised either. So anyway, sales could be affected by pricing, purchasing, financing, operational, advertising, or promotional decisions made by wholesalers, state, and other local agencies and retailers which could affect their supply of or consumer demand for our products. We could also experience higher than expected selling, general and administrators' expenses if we find it necessary to increase the number of our personnel or advertising or marketing expenditures to maintain our competitive position or for other reasons. We cannot guarantee that we will be able to increase our prices to pass along to our customers any increased costs we incur. Now, this is a ginormous company, and if, if these things are affecting Constellation Brands, they're also affecting MOA. So I think it sums it up quite, quite well. It does not mean that MOA cannot compete and make a viable product, and maybe being small in this case is an advantage. The beer certainly tastes good. It just means that it's difficult. Okay, we have spoken about MOA as a product, the industry, and the competitive situation that the company operates in. Let us take a look at some of the quantitative and qualitative data from the annual report and see what conclusions we can draw from that. So starting with the annual report, it has quite a, a Kiwi field, Kiwi feel to it. Obviously on, on the front page, the, the logo is of the MOA, so the, the New Zealand bird, so that's the first thing. And the picture on the front page is of two campers around a fire, a, a tent and a, a truck and a truck in the background, a, a typically Kiwi setting, obviously having a, a beer, I hope, a mower. On the next page is a photo of a Kia that looks like it's trying to either steal a drink or, or, or take the can of, of pay away or that's in front of it. So obviously a Kia is another New Zealand bird. So this is just reinforcing the branding here that I mentioned earlier to being one of the selling points for the company is that, that, that Kiwi focus. And this continues in the chair in the CEO report with, with Jeff Ross mentioning that he's bloody excited about the year ahead in which they hope to will take them to break even and, and further growth. Um, so obviously bloody excited is another Kiwi slang there. So Jeff, Jeff emphasises that they're number three in the New Zealand craft beer market, so that's their market position, and probably the largest exporter of beer from New Zealand to China. I'm not sure why they wrote probably. Um, it, it seems a bit of an interesting statement to me, but there's not too much I can I can draw from that. Um, so I, I do a, a applaud Moa on the section on the director's remuneration. It's simple and easy to understand. It's not even one page. If you remember 
that one of my wishes for 2019 is the end of 30 page director remuneration reports um so you know pretty pretty easy to follow there from Mo, which is which is fantastic um so moving on to the financial statements, the first thing I look at is revenue. In 2018, Mauro reported revenue of just under 10.5 million New Zealand dollars. So this was up slightly from 2017. I think for Mauro, that is a $28 million company. You'd probably want to see growth from here, and I'll, I'll get into that more in, in, in more detail soon. So in fairness, they were delivering on this growth in prior years. And in 2015, sales were 6 million, 8 million in 2016, 10.2 million in 2017, and then stalling in 2018. I think for MOA to be a successful investment in the long term, you need to see a return to this growth. And if you are buying shares today, then you're making the assumption that this growth is going to restart. If you don't think MOA is going to grow again, then I think you'd be pretty insane to to, to buy it. and that's the main question for me going forward. I'll talk about their costs in in, in a second and, and you'll realise from this discussion why they need to grow, why it's so important. So once I've had a look at revenue, I want to see where it's coming from and you can normally go to the notes that accompany the financial statements and, and get more detail here. So note five on on the MOA statements is about the segment revenue and most of their sales come from New Zealand, uh, about $9.4 million. So this is this is no surprise really, so 90, over 90% of sales there from New Zealand. And I, I guess the concern here is that when you compare it to the 2017 sales, New Zealand actually decreased. Um, so that, that's, that's a little bit concerning that sales dropped year on year. They do do a little bit of business in Australia as well, and this decreased year on year to 161,000 in 2018 compared to 321,000 in 2017. I almost wonder why they bother with Australia, to be honest. Um, you know, it's such a small market when the the New Zealand market is suffering. So, I, I I'm not sure why that why why they do that. I hope if the you know, I hope that it, they're easy sales to get. You know, I hope they're not really spending too much time worrying about it. It's just sort of, you know, they can send them over there and it sells. So maybe it's worth it if it's really easy. But if not, then you'd really hope that they get their focus back to New Zealand. Anyway, this is where we can examine the claim he made on the front page of the report that they're probably the largest exporters of China. Um, it's interesting that they make this claim on the front page and then they don't break this out in the reporting specifically. They have a column beside Australia that's called export, which I assume refers to China. Um, so, so sales were 450,000 in 2017 and then it's doubled to over 900,000 in 2018. So this is a real bright spot for MOA and they're actually profitable in this segment on an EBITDA basis, which suggests that they're able to charge more for their product in China um, and obviously if you're buying their product in China you're probably demanding their product so it's, there's probably less competition for it because it's it's come because you've specifically demanded it and this is really interesting it'll be interesting to see how much demand there will be from China in, in, in coming years We've, and I think that's just as an aside it's important that they continue to focus on that New Zealand branding because hopefully that ta that takes off in China and we've seen with other successful New Zealand companies what the New Zealand branding can do in China if, if if they crack it. So there's obviously huge potential there if they can nail the China market. And I'd say that that will be the real interesting thing. It's obviously way too early to tell at the moment. You know, nine nine hundred seventeen thousand dollars of sales. You know, it's 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 not massive, but it, this is this is a definitely a number that if I was following Moa, I'd be keeping an eye on for for future reports. And if you start seeing this growth continue, 
you know, it, it's it, it may maybe in the future New Zealand won't be the big market. So yeah, I'd be really focusing on that. So let's have a look at margins. Um, cost of sales, that is the cost of all the product and bottles and everything else that goes into the drinks. I thought this was pretty high. So in, in 2018, it was 71% of sales, 70% in 2017, and 71% in 2016. So it stayed pretty constant, which suggests that there's not, you know, you'd suggest that it's probably going to stay constant in the future. There will obviously be some reduction in cost as if the company gets bigger, but it's pretty constant. It might be a bit of an unfair comparison, but Anheuser-Busch cost of sales was 38% in 2018. Now, that is an unfair comparison in some ways. Um, so the Boston Beer Company, which is a large craft brewer, they have a $3 billion market cap and their cost of sales is 48%. So it might sound unfair to compare to these companies, but at the end of the day, like I said earlier, these companies are the competitors that are on the shelves competing against MOA. So, you know, they are different companies due to their size, but, you know, it's worth looking at the comparisons anyway. So I did find a smaller craft brewer listed in the US. Their, their name is Craft Brew Alliance. Trades on the ticker code BREW, B-R-E-W. They have a market cap of $312 million, so still much bigger than MOA, but it's the, it's the best comparable comparison I could find and their their cost of sales as a percentage were a bit more comparable at 68.5% so this suggests that the margin in craft beer is, is tighter and the advantages of aggregation and scale that I mentioned at the start of the episode do actually exist so it's a real thing that's why these companies aggregate different brands together so so, so yeah I, even a company 300 million that does craft beer the, the margins are quite comparable there so other expenses as in distribution administration and sales and marketing have remained relatively constant over the last few years and came in at 5.5 million in 2018 so the numbers are not hard there if you've got company revenue of 10 and a half million 7.5 million in cost of sales that leaves you with a gross profit of around 3 million then you have 5.5 million in other costs leaving the loss of two and a half million if I've done my numbers correctly. So for companies like this, I always like to calculate where sales would need to be or make an estimation of where sales would need to be for them to make a profit. So let's fix the distribution, administration and marketing costs at, at five and a half million. And this has been quite fair to the company because it's likely that these will actually grow a bit with revenue, but we can ignore this for now. So that means they would need to a gross profit of 5.5 million to cover the other expenses and, and break even on an income statement basis. So let's assume that they managed to improve, and I might be being fair here as well, but they managed to improve the margins and cost of sales to 68% at roundabout in line with the Craft Brew Alliance. This would mean that sales would have to be 17.19 million to break even. And I am giving them the benefit of the doubt by saying that distribution, administration and marketing costs will not need to grow. So the real number, <coughs> excuse me, is likely to be higher. So that, that's growth of about 65% in, in, in revenue from where we are now. And remember that Jeff Ross spoke about getting to break even by the next report and I'll do a cash flow later, it, it seems to me that it's unlikely based off these numbers. And not that, not that you know, if, if they grow sales to 13 million and 17 million in this financial year, and that, that's, that's fantastic growth as well. So I'm not saying, you know, 17 million is, is where they need to get to this year, but I think that the claim that they'll break even in this financial year is probably a bit long, but obviously when the numbers come out later in the year, we'll, we'll know. So it, it, the, the the key thing is here, what I said before, is that the company really does need to grow those sales and if they can reduce the margins to to get to the sort of break-even stage. 
Right, so moving from the income statement down to the balance sheet, obviously it's out of date now, but at the time of reporting, they had about 987,000 in the bank. They had some receivables and they had about $2 million of inventories. Inventories are an important thing to watch. And I guess it's pretty flat year on year, which shows that the unsold product isn't building up, which is a, a good sign. So it looks like they're keeping on store what they need. So there isn't any debt on the balance sheet, um, so there's not too much else to talk about. But it is interesting that they once had $26.5 million in contributed equity, but this has been whittled down for $5.5 million. So I guess uh, over time, it's not a company that's been building equity. Um, so now we'll move on to what I think is the most important financial statement in this case. It's the cash flow statement. And how this links to the balance sheet is really important. So net cash flow from operations in financial year 2018 was negative 1.8 million. Then you have to then you move down to investments and capital expenditures. They're obviously light on investments as they don't have that much money to spend. But one good thing for company and one good thing for MOA is that they do not seem to have much in the way of capital expenditures at the moment. And I guess the reason is that once you've built all the brewing equipment and spent the money, it's it's pretty robust. And it probably ticks along just fine with little depreciation. I'm not sure the life cycle of the equipment, but I'd say for the most of the expensive stuff lasts quite a while. Different to some different other industries, but in this case, I think it probably does. So they lose another three hundred fifty thousand to investments and capital expenditures, and that leaves a hole of just over two million. And this is where it gets interesting for Moa. So when you have a hole of two million dollars, the cash needs to be found from somewhere. So the first option is that it can come off the cash on the balance sheet and this is where it links in with the, the cash the balance sheet or you could do other things like sell assets or like property or, or whatever else to raise the money you could issue debt or you could issue new shares moa has been doing a combination of using cash and issuing new new shares that's why you saw a decrease in the cash and cash equivalents between 2017 and 2018. If the, if the exact opposite was true, that they had an extra $2 million free, then you'd see an increase in cash and cash equivalents. So heading into the 2019 financial year, they had just under $1 million in the bank. And with the amount of cash they were burning, it, it should have been pretty obvious that they would need to find some money again. And I don't think they were left with much option but to raise cash by issuing shares. They were forced to do this around the middle of last year and they raised just under $2 million by issuing 3.73 million shares. This obviously increased the number of shares outstanding and diluted everyone else, but obviously it also kept insolvent. So it, it's been sort of the, the, the trend for Mara is that they've had to raise money over time to keep the company going. And that's not unusual for a, a company and its growth in early stages before they're profitable, and it's it's to be expected. So the, the, share, the share count increased from 41 million in 2015 to 47 million in 2016, 50 million in 2017, and 54 million in 2018. Now, they can keep on doing this forever as long as people are happy to keep on giving the money. But investors' patience eventually wears thin. And this is why it's getting pretty important that they find some growth and, and start delivering on the bottom line. Because if they can't, or if they, they, they won't be able to keep doing this for long and heading, they're just heading back to the market and, and asking for more money. So investors' patience eventually wears thin. And it's really important that they start seeing some growth.
So let's get to the valuation. We, we discussed valuation a little bit earlier in the podcast, but it's quite hard to value the company at the moment, in my view. Um, there's obviously no cash flow, and I think it's difficult to predict what cash flows there'll be in the future because it's so hard to predict what growth there is. And the market has obviously applied a market cap of, of 28 million, so that's one valuation. Um, but let's have a, a squeeze at, at, at another company to see where that's valued. And that, that's Brew, one we talked about earlier. So Brew is trading around 25 times earnings, which seems to be quite high to me, but that's what it is, trading at 25 times earnings. If you were to apply the same metric to Moa, this would mean that they would need to be making, one on a $28 million market cap, they'd need to be making 1.1 million in net profits. And a quick back of the envelope calculation, and I, I estimate that they would, to do this, they'd need to be delivering revenues of between 20 and 25 million to be making that much, maybe more, um, which is about 100% higher than where they are now, or at least 100% higher. So I guess the thing here is if you're buying Moa today, it is with the expectation that they grow. You would have looked into things, you would have understood the product really in a, in a really detailed way, you would have understood the market, and you would decide that they're certainly going to grow. It's probably not enough to say, oh, I, I just like the beer. You probably really need to understand that they're going to grow. And I guess this is a judgment call, and it is a risk you have to take. There's no reason why they can't, but it's certainly it's, it's not written in stone, that's for sure. So, aside for growth, what, what other options are there for Moa? So they could keep on doing what they're doing, asking the market for money, and but eventually they're going to wear thin. So they need to, if they don't deliver growth, what other options are there? And I think one real option is that an aggregator acquires them. Now, I think they're probably too small for the big overseas ones, you know, like Anheuser-Busch and everything like that. So that really leaves Lion in New Zealand. And I, I guess my concern here is that if they wanted to, they probably already would have. Um, and no doubt they have certainly looked at it. Um, and it's, it's obviously an option in the future, but I, I have no idea on the probability of that. And like the growth, I think that if you're buying for this reason, nothing wrong with buying for that reason, just like there's nothing wrong with buying if you're anticipating growth, but you'd have to have a pretty good understanding and, and know what you're doing. You'd really have to have a, a, a really detailed understanding of what was going on there. Um, so <clears throat> I guess that brings us to the end of the chat about Moa, and I'll just sort of sum things up. And I guess you start with a the product. They obviously have a good product and good branding, and and I would say that most beer drinkers in New Zealand are familiar with Moa. They know about Moa. And I'm a consumer of it and, and I like it. I guess the trouble is that most Kiwis are also familiar with 50 other beers that are available in the supermarket. And differentiating themselves amongst this experienced, well-organised, well-funded and ruthless competition is the real question. And, it, and it's hard. And my, that leaves me thinking that, in my opinion, growth is essential. Unless they grow... They'll have to keep coming back to the market and asking for more money. And it's like a, a kid at primary school that is always trying to scab money. It works for a while, and then eventually everyone knows not to give them money. And in the market, this can last for a long time, but eventually investor patient runs out on it. And if you're buying today, you're buying for growth. And, and there's no reason why they can't do it, especially if they're able to return to sort of a meaningful growth in New Zealand. And then if they do something like capitalise on the opportunity in China, trust me, if, if the mainland Chinese decide they really love Moa beer, then a market cap of, of 28 million will look really cheap in in a few years' time. So the trouble is that I do not think anyone can do this with any degree of certainty. So for this reason, it is a stock that is definitely in the high-risk category. You, you, you're taking a risk on the growth. Um, I, but I'd be interested in hearing in, in 
everyone's thoughts on the stock, so please send them through to me. I guess that, that's all we have time for. So thanks again for listening to the podcast. I, I really enjoyed doing this one. It's a, a lot more detail on an individual company than what we've done in the past. So it, it's, it's been an enjoyable episode. I'd just like to correct a, a comment I made on last week's podcast. One of my listeners, Kirsty, she pointed it out to me that I said Jack Bogle passed away at the age of 29. And obviously if, if Jack was alive and listening to this, he'd be... Um, pretty stoked to be compared to a 29 year old but he was actually 89 so I, I should I should really correct that uh, as, as a reminder that nothing that I said today is, is considered financial advice um, I've done my own research on mower and I've said my opinions but it doesn't mean I'm right about them and and you know you it's, it's subjective in nature and it should be taken with a grain of salt I've done my best to keep everything as accurate as possible but no doubt I've made some mistakes along the line so always do your own research and if you want to find out more about the podcast, go to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook. Make sure also to share it with your friends. If you want to email me with any questions, it's jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Midland, and this has been episode 24 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday, the 25th of January, 2019. I'll see you all next week.